is your host, TJ Buffenbarger. Hello, world. On this edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast, AJ Flick, the 2020 Lernerville Speedway Track Champion, joins us. Flick and I cover a lot of ground, including how he jumped from the street stock division directly to sprint cars over seven years ago, why he spends time on both the Western and Central Pennsylvania sprint car circuits, and a variety of other topics pertaining to building up his family race team. But before we get into it with AJ, don't forget, please support our loyal sponsors, All-Star Performance, Engine Pro, and Maxim Chassis. Without further ado, let's get things started with AJ Flick. AJ Flick, first of all, congratulations on another Lernerville Speedway Track Championship. That's a quite an accomplishment. You're starting to rack these up a little bit. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, thank you, TJ, for having me on the line. I appreciate always coming on to do an interview with you guys. Um, as for the Lernerville title, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to keep our percentage above 50%. Um, we've got four titles in seven years of four-time sprint car racing, so that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And and you think about it, in 2020, there's a lot of people that might have been able to, had things gone normal, uh, you know, had said, yeah, I'm a track champion. There's so there's a, quite a few people that didn't have that opportunity this year. Uh, did you think at one point you were even going to have a chance to be able to do this? Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, when the season started, we ran two races at Port Royal. I think Lincoln got a couple shows in, and that was about it. Um, COVID hit, and then everything pretty much stalled out through most of March, all of April, all of May. I think it was at the very end of May, very beginning of June, when uh, Speedways tried to push their luck a little bit. Uh, we ran at Roy Knob for a special, um, ran at Lincoln twice. And then it seemed like Port Royal started to open their gates with a Wednesday special. And then everything just kind of blossomed from there. But while all that was happening, Lernerville was basically silent. I don't think we even got to Lernerville until late June, early July. And I figured, I mean, the season usually ends in late August. Uh, so eight weeks of racing, that doesn't really give you much to crown a champion or anything like that. But I do want to give a mad amount of props to the entire Lernerville facility and all the people making the calls. They ended up extending the season into September and October, I think we were able to get an extra six races in and the season finally ended uh, October 9th. We were third and we ended up winning the 2020 track title, but you're 100% correct. If they don't extend it, there's no, there's no title crown. What did your race team do during the off time? Did you guys focus on trying to make anything better or did you use the off time to your advantage? Well, we were so prepared to start the season that when it ended so quickly, we didn't really have anything to do. Um, obviously, we try and make stuff better, but we can't unless we can test, and we can't test unless we can race. So we were put in a position where there was a lot of things we wanted to do, and we still continued to do research and stuff like that, but it took us until season started back up to finally be able to start racing again. And once we were able to do that, we were able to determine what we needed to do, um, we were able to put some of our notes down. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't seem to find any success and hit on any big things this year, especially out in central PA, but, um, we were at least able to kind of get back on track. We spent most of our time down here, probably just cleaning the garage, making sure everything was as organized as possible, just doing stupid little things to make sure that, uh, no matter who was helping us that night, we'd be able to find whatever we were looking for. And sometimes knowing what not to do is just as valuable as knowing what to do too. So it wasn't probably, you know, totally fruitless. 
yeah, I mean, that's the worst part about racing, to be honest. I mean, it's how they say uh, Edison never says he failed on trying to make a light bulb a thousand times or whatever that was. It was always he learned a thousand ways on not to make a light bulb. And, man, I have a thousand ways on how not to set up a sprint car right now. <laughs> I don't really have that many ways on how to set it up, which is a bit unfortunate. But uh, I know a lot of things that uh, I shouldn't do, and I definitely won't be doing it again. I know it's uh, – frustrating on my end but i know when the time comes and i'm older i'll be able to look back on these notes and it's continuing to cut my learning curve in half which is an interesting learning curve because your path to sprint car racing doesn't it starts out like a lot of people on carts but then there's street stocks in there and you don't see that a ton i mean you see it a little bit Um, how how did you get how does the path go from getting a street stock to getting in a 410 sprint car well, we never really had the money to do anything else. And the only thing we could basically build from scratch was a street stock. And that's what we did. So uh, with limited funds, we were able to go to a junkyard, find a car, tear the cab off of it, get everything sandblasted, paint it. We built the cage and everything ourselves. And that's where we ran locally here at Lernerville, Marion Center. We never won a title, but we won a couple of races. Um, once we started accumulating sponsors and building our recognition up, I guess, in this area, that's when we decided to move up, but we had to sell everything that we had made for the street stock, um, sold the trailer, anything we could to try and help get something together for a 410 sprint. Obviously, we had to buy a new trailer too, but the trailer we had wasn't going to work anyway. So it was uh, difficult to find out how to get to sprint car racing. I mean, my father ran modifieds, my grandfather ran old late models back in the 70s. So we had no experience in sprint car racing whatsoever. We didn't have one spare part for sprint cars, nothing. But uh, what we had built and accumulated in the off-seasons after off-seasons that we spent making spare parts for the street stock, we sold everything, basically took that money, got a sprint car, uh, a couple sponsor dollars helped us get a uh, 410 motor. It was just a small Dash 12, had like 725 horsepower. And then the entire goal when we started in 2014 was simply just don't tear equipment up. I think the very first race we ever went to, all we had was a spare regular tire. I had no, uh, no top wings, no spare front wings. I had nothing else besides the spare right rear tire, but we just tried to make sure we finished races and every race we were able to finish, make a couple bucks. Um, and then just try and improve the program year after year after year. That is a, I think there's good lessons to be learned there from anyone listening to this, to, to prove that you don't have to start with a trailer full of stuff as long as, uh, you're resourceful. So that's really interesting to hear. Um, what? That's, that's the biggest thing I tell everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter who starts out. I don't care whether they have money or whether they don't have money. Um, you can see a lot of times when people start tearing up equipment, even when they're young, they usually don't last in the sport unless they have huge backing and continue to get rides. But my number one piece of advice, no questions asked, is just don't tear up race cars. Even if you have to pull out, even at, even if you have to look like a full run in the bottom to get out of people's way, that's exactly what I used to do. I mean, it's how I learned. It's how I gained respect from people. And, I mean, we didn't – the first car I ever lost in seven years of sprint car racing was September 11th this year at Port Royal when we jumped one. But that's wow. the first car I had ever lost until then. That's crazy. I had run over two, probably 250, 300 races at that point. That's – we've had plenty of success. And it's not like you're going to little places either. You you race on high-speed racetracks a majority of the time. So that's fascinating that you never really lost a car till then. Pretty amazing. I've hurt the frame. I've hurt the frame, uh, just the front torsion rack a couple times, but that was always able to be straightened. It wasn't until this wreck at Port Royal when we hit hard enough that it actually tweaked the cage. So 
no use trying to fix that. No, not at all. Now, that brings me into where I was kind of heading next with this is most people in Western Pennsylvania kind of stay in Western Pennsylvania. Most central PA guys race there. You see central PA guys in the past once in a while would venture over. You spend time on both circuits. What brought you to want to start racing at Port Royal on Saturdays on a regular basis? Well, um, just the, the facility, the class. I mean, number one, my father continuously says day after day that if you want to get better, you got to race against better people. And I think that's a proven statistic across any form of auto racing on any surface of, for auto racing. If you want to get better, you got to race against better people. Um, they teach you a ton of stuff. You get to watch what they do in the pits. Uh, you learn a lot by traveling to different areas, stuff like that. So I think that was probably the main goal is just that we wanted to branch out and see how well we could do in other areas. Uh, in 2016, which was our third year in 410 racing, uh, we had already won a title in 2015, two races, and in 2016, we won like four or five races. So we were definitely getting a lot quicker, and we were making a couple extra bucks running around here at Lernerville that we figured it was time we could go out and give it a shot somewhere else. And we only went to Port Royal maybe two or three times the first year in 2016. It wasn't often, but we went enough to know how difficult it was, and uh we basically made a goal for 2017 uh, that we would try and get back there as much as possible because quite honestly, we were getting our butts spanked every single night when we went out there. And I mean, it wasn't even close. There were nights, uh, first time I went there for the Wiker weekend, I was getting lapped in a 12 lap B main and I was just miles behind the leader and the car was just absolutely horrible. Um, it's beyond frustrating and degrading to uh, my confidence. No questions asked. But when you at least take a step back and you realize the experience and the money you're up against, it makes it uh, quite encouraging to go after that challenge, I guess you would say. And how do you keep your confidence up or bring it back up? Because, I mean, a lot of people are afraid to take that step because either they can't afford it, you know, can't afford the lumps or mentally they just can't take it. How did you overcome that to be able to keep going back and start getting faster? Well, it's definitely something I need to work on, but my confidence can take a pretty good hit when I'm at the racetrack. And um, I know that uh, I've gotten down on myself before, no questions asked. But the one good thing I can promise uh, my crew and everybody that supports me is that even if I'm down on myself in the pits or I'm not feeling that good about how I qualify, something like that, I mean, I always still go out and race 100 to 110%. And I definitely need to change that about myself. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, I definitely have to put off a little bit better uh, vibe or even if I'm not feeling down about myself, just uh, try and act a little more confident because everybody feeds off that. I know we have good stuff. It's just frustrating to me when we don't have that experience that we know we need to compete. So um, it's definitely difficult. There's no questions asked, but uh, the one good thing too about myself is uh, when we come home and we have time to breathe and relax and everybody gets together and we talk, uh, there's a lot of times we can, think about some setup stuff and try and figure out where we went wrong. And we continue to make notes on that. And it's pretty easy for me to get amped up to go racing again. Once we uh, figure out something else, we can try something else that we think might hit here and there. And even if it doesn't work, I mean, it's happened all the time. We go out with some sort of new setup in something we think will work. If it doesn't work, we drive home, we think about it, we talk about it and we come up with something new and we're amped up ready to go racing by Monday night again. So it's just a continuous process over and over. And 
there's been many times where those Monday night talks have led to better setups, and we've been very good against the competition when we went back. Who outside of your circle has been helpful of, you know, of like bouncing ideas off of maybe a fellow driver, another crew member on another team who's kind of helped with that process maybe the most? Um, for the start of my career, it was mainly uh, Greg Dabrowski, um, local 305 driver out here. He owns Showtime Designs, does our graphics. Uh, really good friend of ours. We hang out with him a bunch. We see him at the races all the time. And he has a lot of experience in the sprint car field. When we first started to go racing, he was the one that actually tested a 305 more for me so that uh, he could get it prepared, make sure it was running right. I hopped in that 305. I got to run it a couple laps, and that's what made us decide we would go from street stocks to 410 sprints. So even to this day, we run ideas off him, and he's had a lot of success in 305s out in this area too. Um, also, no no doubt about it, Jack Sodeman Jr. I want to give a special shout-out to him as well. In 2014, he broke his leg at the World of Outlaw show at Larnerville and uh, obviously was immobile, couldn't race. Um, he basically took us under his wing for – that entire 2014 year at least from june or july on after he broke it at the silver cup and he was extremely helpful he taught us a ton he definitely helped me with my driving helped me with my confidence there and he knew what we were working with too he didn't expect us to put brand new tires on every night or brand new torsion bars in it or buy these thousand dollar shocks he knew what we were working with and he was willing to help us get around some of these issues that he's experienced over the course of his racing career and it really helped us gain progression for 2015 good stuff here uh, like I said, a really good step because a lot of times you see drivers make those mistakes. And if you had to tell yourself, if you could visit yourself when you're starting to start in 410 sprint car racing, what would, what's the one piece of advice you'd want to tell yourself starting out that you know now you wish you had known then? Oh, that's a good question. There's so much now. I'm not making this know. easy on you. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much stuff I know now that I wish I could tell myself back in. I mean, just how important motors are, how important weight is, uh, some of the safety aspects, um, what chassis brands I should run, what motor builders I should have talked to, um, what ride heights and what shocks I needed to focus on. We wasted years after years at the beginning of my career, just not doing things the right way, whether it's, uh, we trusted the wrong motor builders. Um, we lost motors. It cost us money. Uh, we tried fancy shocks that we weren't smart enough to make work. What ended up happening is we basically just found out, keep it simple, stupid. And we started putting some generic pieces of equipment on the car. And all of a sudden we got faster. Um, I just wish that I could take a step back. All I have to do is just take my notebooks and just hand them 2014 year old or 2014 year AJ and, uh, tell him to review these notes so he can get a head start. And, and looking to the future, you're still pretty young, but did you see yourself maybe paying it forward someday when you get a little further in your career? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I enjoy doing that to be honest with you. And I do it to a few drivers out in this area. Now um, I don't ever make it a point to go try to help somebody uh, just because I don't want to come off as somebody that seems like a know-it-all, but um I definitely don't know it all. There's so much I have to learn. But if anybody's willing to ask or they're willing to take my opinion or piece of advice on either setup or driving, I'm more than happy to help. A lot of it, too, is just for the safety of not only myself but everybody else on the Speedway, too. 
Um, there's a lot of drivers, like myself included, when we were younger, uh, you either make stupid mistakes, uh, you try to drive above your talent level, things like that. So being confident in your driving to try and help somebody else out enough or to help give them a car that's a little bit more stable, it could come back in the long run to end up saving yourself equipment, them equipment, anything along those lines. Yeah, so I was going to ask you what part would be self-preservation too, but you answered that pretty well. So, you know, we're wrapping up 2020. What, what do you have left on your calendar other than the, the Steel City Stampede this weekend? But do you have anything else left on your calendar? No, that's pretty much it. Um, the uh, Thursday portion of the Stampede's all testing, and that's what I'm focusing on tonight down in the garage. I'm just finishing up the car, and I'm going to run through like 10, 15 different setups just to try and make sure that – I have different ideas that I can be prepared for if we do get the setup in. Unfortunately, from what I can see from the future cast on the weather, the only night I would get to test this year would be Thursday, and it's calling for rain. So that just seems to be my luck. Uh, we'll try and get Friday heat races done, get us in a good qualifying position, hopefully start up front for the feature. If we can have a good setup, we'll see if we can run away with it. And then as soon as uh, the stampede's done, we're going to start tearing everything apart, get everything cleaned up, get the motor out to the engine builder, um, try and get the shocks checked out, get the rear ends looked at. Um, the PRI shows canceled this year, which is quite heartbreaking, but uh, we'll try and get to a couple swap meets if they're still having them and see if we can go down and watch some races in Charlotte. And then I think we'll be uh, pretty well prepared for 2021. We still have some things to work out on setup. And like I said before, even though we think we know how to fix some of our issues for this year, we don't know till we go test. So we're kind of in a holding pattern right now. Uh, let's just hope this winter isn't, negative 12 degrees and hopefully it uh, turns nice by february we can go racing maybe lincoln uh, but definitely start up port royal in march all right so basically the same kind of plan you're looking to do what you've done the past couple of years for next year as long as covid doesn't impact it yeah no oh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's, um goes without saying yeah. i know the i know the red robin group uh, definitely wants us out in central pa i love to get out there i love supporting those guys i love racing in that area we got the Ceilings Grove again this year, which was really cool. We ran eighth. Uh, we got to all the Port Royal races. Um, we do want to get out to Williams Grove for the Natty Open, uh, maybe a Sunday show if they can add it back on the schedule. We enjoyed running Lincoln this year. We made both of those shows and got better each time, even though they had 40 to 50-some cars. So that was really cool for us. Uh, other than that, we ran pretty good at Tri-City the times they were able to come out. Uh, we ran consistently at Larnerville, and we only ran one time at Sharon because of the schedule in COVID in Ohio. But uh, Sharon's one of my favorite facilities. If they have any shows on a Saturday night that uh, Port is not racing, we'll definitely try and be out there too. So I'm wearing my uh, old guys on the crew pretty thin with all the racing we're doing, but I think they love it just as much as I do, and it's pretty cool to have all those in victory lane. It sure makes all the works uh, seem pretty worth it. Well, it's it's always nice to visit with someone that I've actually never met in person, so that's kind of awesome. And it was a uh, uh, great to visit with you again. Congratulations on the championship, and uh, best of luck this weekend. Thank you very much. I always enjoy coming on. I appreciate talking to you guys. All right, thanks. Thank you again to AJ Flick for taking time out of this his preparation for the Steel City Stampede at Lernerville Speedway to do that interview. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and the other material you'll see on the website, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, and now on Amazon Music. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this. And I look forward to doing it again next week. Goodbye, everyone. 
Sideways Podcast.